It's 12.08. This is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. A lot of ground to cover on the Friday show. Let's get right to it. Let me kind of lead up to where I'm going with a couple different stories. Um, actually, the, for, Fox 6 was talking about this. Um, it's about a week and a half ago. There is a Milwaukee man, a 32-year-old guy named Al Shack. I looked up his criminal record, and I think the term career criminal is perhaps overused in our society. But 32-year-old Al Shack, if he's not a career criminal, well, he's pretty darn close. He'll do to all a career criminal comes around. If you you know put him through the Wisconsin Circuit Court access system, you'll see one conviction after another for a wide variety of things. He's been out of prison for, okay, a couple of years now, maybe about a year and a half now, but he maybe a little bit longer. But um, lately, he, he does not have a valid driver's license, and so he continues to, to drive vehicles, all right? Well, what happens is a couple of weeks ago, he is in Thienesville in Ozaki County. He blows through a red light. An officer tries to stop him, and as is commonplace in southeastern Wisconsin now, he takes off. Because in Wisconsin nowadays, at least in southeastern Wisconsin, if you're a criminal and you run through red lights and things like that, you, you, just, you just take off. Well, we'll see if they catch me. And if I kill somebody along the way, well, you know, who cares about that? So a high-speed chase ensues. The Brown Deer police get involved in this, because like I said, it starts in Thienesville, heads down to Brown Deer. The chase ends when Shaq ditches his car at the, there's a guarantee bank near Green Bay Avenue and, and Brown Deer Road. So he ditches his car, climbs out of the driver's side window, and starts running. Because, again, this is what happens in southeastern Wisconsin nowadays. The police try to pull you over. You run from them, engage in a high-speed chase, and then when you think it's not going anywhere, you stop your car, you get out, and you run from the police. So the police see this guy fleeing. They chase him, and once they come up to him as part of the chase, he's, of course, he's not stopping, he's resisting. They end up having to you know, hit him with a taser. All right. So after he gets tased, then he becomes the victim. He's complaining of shortness of breath. Oh, this is just terrible. So, of course, at that point in time, the police have to take this guy who has blown through the red light, led them on a high-speed chase, run away from them. The police then have to call the paramedics. The paramedics take him to the ambulance. He's then taken to the hospital. And then after the hospital releases him, because he's not really injured, he goes back to the Ozaki County Jail and because he's committed this offense in Ozaki County, he's now been charged with three felonies, including two counts of recklessly endangering safety and one count of eluding an officer. Maybe since it's Ozaki County that he's now committed this crime instead of Milwaukee County, where he committed a bunch of other crimes, maybe we won't see Mr. Shack if he is in fact convicted, out on the street for the foreseeable future. But I, I tell you this story because imagine what it's like to be a cop. All right, now here's here's the deal. You're sitting there, you're on patrol, you get this report, there's this high-speed chase, you have one of these losers who's driving 80 miles an hour trying to get away from you, ditches the car, starts to run from you, gets into a struggle. I mean, th- this is the daily, daily, um, you know, bread and butter of what police officers end up having to do. Then, of course, we know in today's society that there's always going to be somebody with the cell phone camera that's going to be out there, you know, looking to catch that last 13 seconds of the encounter and say, oh, here, here's where the cops, 
Look, they, they tased this guy. Well, okay, why did they tase him? They tased him because he ran, he struggled. If he would, first of all, not have blown through the red light, not have been driving without a valid license, which I suspect he was, would have stopped in the first place. None of this would have happened. But yet there's going to be some people in our society that perceive the guy who ran from the cops as as the victim. And it just sort of makes you wonder, you know, what what is going on here? Well, that brings me to a story that aired on today's TMJ4 yesterday that I wanted to, to share with you. Let me read you a portion of the story. A teacher who was brutally attacked and carjacked in a Milwaukee County park had a simple message to police Thursday night. That message was two words. Thank you. My family and I wanted to personally thank you, said Maurice Lee, the son of the victim. The family wrote a letter to the sheriff's deputy that came to their aid. Currently, our this is what the letter said. Currently, our society is quick to criticize law enforcement and neglect verbalizing our appreciation, said the victim, Louis Lee. I, too, have been critical in my response. Your professionalism and concern made a difficult situation easier to handle, said uh, son, Louis O. Lee. Louis Lee, that's the dad, fell asleep in his car on May 17th waiting for his son's soccer practice to end. That is when someone came up and opened his car door. Lee jumped out, assuming something had gone wrong on the soccer field, and they were coming to tell him. They crawled through the car and hit me directly in the back of the head, said Lee. That knocked Lee to the ground. Four teenagers then beat him up in the parking lot of the Washington Park Ecology Center. Then one of the perpetrators that stole the car stomped my head while I was on the ground. He was knocked out and almost run over by his own car. Someone found Lee wandering near the soccer field, bloody and confused. They called the sheriff's office for help. Lewis said the deputy stayed with his family even after his shift ended and comforted his young son while he was taken to the hospital. Now, can you imagine that? You've got the young kid, you've got Junior, who's playing soccer. All of a sudden, you see your dad, you know, bloody and dazed, who's had the you-know-what beat out of him by four teenagers who have just carjacked him. Um, the letter continues. We understand that you are in a career that is sometimes thankless, said Louis O'Lee. My family and I want you to know your efforts made a difference. Thank you, says uh, you know one of the other family members. Thank you. All right. Over the last couple weeks, there have been a number of high-profile situations in this area where people have been quick to criticize law enforcement response. You had the situation involving the Wauwatosa cops in, in Mayfair. I have talked that about that on multiple occasions. I think they were completely justified in what they did. You have had the Sterling Brown situation, which is part of now this national conversation, and I think mistakes were made in that case. But at the same time, I mean, the reality is, if Ster- this does not happen if Sterling Brown simply produces his identification, and moves on. And I'm, I'm not defending all the actions of the police officers that I, I think they made mistakes as well. But story after story after story that we see are people being critical of this response by the police or that response by the police when the truth of the matter is, on a daily basis, you have men and women in law enforcement, whether it's Milwaukee County Sheriff's Department or MPD or the Ozaki County Sheriff's Department or the Waukesha County Sheriff's Department, you get the idea, who are responding. They are put in difficult situations by people who 
I think in some respects are committing crimes and then want to test them because they understand in today's society there's always going to be that cell phone. And if you get away, that's fine. And if you don't get away, maybe you can make the police the bad guy as a way of, uh, again, reducing your responsibility. And in some respects, I think there is, in certain parts of this community, a war on the police. Our numbers, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You will always, I think, unfortunately, have situations where a police officer overreacts to a situation or you catch them on a bad day and and they do stuff that's wrong. That's always going to be the case. But in general, I, I think what you see day in, day out by the men and women of law enforcement is dealing with very, very difficult situations on a daily basis with people who don't respect other people, people who don't respect the law, and people who don't respect the police. And I think in the vast majority of situations where stuff escalates, if people would have simply done what they were supposed to do in the first place or complied with what the officer asked them to do, you would not have some of these bad things happening. And I think more and more people need to do precisely you know what this this guy on Channel 4 did last night, which is to say thank you. I was a victim. I was beaten. I was carjacked by a bunch of thugs. And, you know, the response by law enforcement was incredible. They stayed after their shift. They made sure that my they comforted my son. They were there to help me. Those are the stories that I think need to be told that aren't getting out. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is there too much hostility towards the police? And is it undeserved? My answers would be yes and yes. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1217. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1220, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. One true story before we start taking calls on this. I was talking to somebody yesterday and we were discussing this precise issue and how tough the police have it on a daily basis, which isn't to say folks don't make mistakes, but this war on the police that's being promulgated by some people in the community and some politicians who are trying to make political points and really should know better, and some lawyers who are out for paydays, really drives me crazy from time to time. So my buddy is saying, here's the deal. He said he's driving down a country road. Uh, it's at night. He said he's speeding. And, you know, let's say the speed limit is 45. He's going 65. He admits he's speeding. He goes by, and there's a police officer behind some billboard or something. And, you know, uh, as soon as he goes by, he says, oh, the, the police officer's there. The bubble lights come on. My buddy pulls over. And he said, you know, I, what he does immediately says, okay, first of all, before the officer gets to the car, he takes his wallet out, puts it on the dashboard, puts his hands in plain view on the steering wheel. The officer comes up. He says, uh, look, officer, I'm sorry. I know I was speeding. Um, look, here's, I'll get my driver's license out of my wallet. My license, my registration's in the glove box. Is it okay if I reach there? And the police officer actually thanked, he gave him a ticket anyways, but he thanked him. And my buddy had said to him, look, I understand how tough this job is. It's 10 o'clock at night. We're on this country road. You don't know if I'm a danger or anything like that. I want to make it easy for you. And by the way, I know I was speeding. I'm not going to cop an attitude. Now, I'm not saying you have to admit to, to, to necessarily speeding because, again, that will be used against you. But at the same time, isn't that more refreshing when nowadays you have at least a segment of the population that's going to decide, I'm going to try to run from that police officer. I'm going to try to get away. I'm not going to pull over. And then, of course, you escalate the situation. 
414-799-1620. Let's start with Barb in Mishota. Barb, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, ma'am. As I told you, producer, my son-in-law is like a power hour between second and third shift Milwaukee police officer, and he does a great job. I need to thank him for that. But he continually gets frustrated when these offenders keep offending. They let them out within 24 hours, only to commit another offense. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. You, you see the same people over and over again. And that's part of the frustration, too. Um, the, the, these, these guys and or gals who just know the system and they know how to use the system and they know how to milk the system. And, you know, they're, they're turned loose and you catch somebody for something. And then two days later, the officer sees the same person back out on the street, probably doing the same darn thing that he got arrested for two days earlier. Absolutely. He calls it a revolving door. And one more thought on that, and I'll let you go. Just comply with the officer. Well, be nice, comply, and there won't be the problems you see. Ex- exactly. Now, thanks to culprit. See, that's what I always tell people in this. Well, and, and, and I understand. Sometimes you catch a police officer on a bad day. Sometimes you get the individual officers on a power trip. I understand that police officers make mistakes. But if you look at, at almost every situation that you have, where it escalates and, oh, should the police officers have thrown a punch or should they have tased them? One of the common characteristics you see is that there was some degree of noncompliance, and that's in almost all the situations, maybe not all, but almost all of them. If you just do what they tell you to, and maybe the officer's wrong, okay? Well, that's fine. The officer's wrong. If you've been ill, if you've been illegally stopped, all right. If you're illegally detained, that's fine. You can go hire one of the lawyers, and they you can file your complaint, you can file your lawsuit, or whatever. But when you when you run, when you flee, when you struggle, what happens is you escalate the response, and you always make things worse. Vincent on the northwest side. Vincent, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, you know, everybody. I think most people in Milwaukee understand that the police have a really, really tough job. Most of them are very, very good police officers and very good cops. But the fact is, there are bad apples, mm-hmm. and all and all we're asking is is that those bad apples are removed. The fact is, you have this this, so, this so-called thin blue line, and it, and it's no snitching policy. That if you go out and say, hey, if, if a police officer says, hey, hey, my partner's bad, he's dirty, he's out here doing some dirty things. That doesn't happen in, in, in the police force. The fact is these individuals are continually out here doing bad things. And you give them a pass when you say sometimes they make a mistake. Let's look at the officers who did the cavity searches, would do the cavity searches, you know, with uh, you know, open-hand cavity searches for no reason. Who, some of them are still in jail right now. That wasn't a mistake. These were individuals who were out here terrorizing people in the community. Yeah, but that's a small number, Vincent. That, that yes, You're talking is. about a small number. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And, and, and that's what I'm saying. But those cops were on the street. And yep. this wasn't like the first incident that they got caught with. They, they had multiple incidents with partners and people, and people in the department knew about and really didn't turn them in. And so all we're asking is, is that, hey, we want you to come out here and do your job. We need you because, because hey, the conditions in Milwaukee are intolerable. Well, okay, okay but do you think that is the majority view no. in 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 at least some parts of the community, gee, we, we want to work with the police. Because I actually think it's it's quite the contrary, that until until somebody gets carjacked, you know, at a at, at, a, at Washington Park or something, people are, we're not going to trust the police, we don't want to cooperate until, you know, we need the police because we're the crime victim. Exactly. 
the fact is, is that we're being the victim. We're the victims. We need the police out here. We want the police out here. When when we when we, when, when 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 somebody breaks in our home or or something like that, or somebody steals something, we call the police. That's who we have to turn to. But we don't want someone to come out and also and act like a cowboy and not be concerned concerned about what we're trying to we're trying to deal with. And and it's like I said, it, it's it's not the majority of police officers. They're, they they come out there. Every experience I've had with them, they've come out and they've done and they've done their due diligence and did the best that they could. But the fact is that they are. We you can't say that when a police does something wrong, that it's a mistake. Well, I mean, it, there are some bad police officers, and that's what we want removed. Well, and Vincent, I I think that's fine as far as it goes. But not every time, every time an officer does something wrong doesn't mean they're a bad police officer, okay? They, they might make an error in judgment. They might not have all the information. And again, that's, that's where it's fine. You go out, you file your complaint, you make the challenge, you hire the lawyer, whatever. And so, I mean, nobody ends up being perfect. And yes, I can see that there are bad cops out there. But, but that's, I think there is this attitude among some that here, what we're going to do is we're going to use, we're going to try to foment distrust of, of the police. And then we're going to use that to our own ends so that it will justify some of the criminal misbehavior. And, and you can't have it both ways because in the community, and I think one thing you and I would agree with, Vincent, is we want our community to be safe. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't care what color somebody is. Um, you know, you, you want to be safe. And I don't care what color the the perpetrators are. You know, if people are committing crimes, you want to get them off the street. And I think that there's some people out there, like I say, who become the criminals' friends. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to score political points by attacking an institution like the police department because, all right, you've got a couple bad apples or you've got some officers that have made mistakes or you catch them on a bad day or whatever and use that to tar everybody. It's 1228. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 1237, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Uh, let's see, I just try to remind people, we, we have one giveaway of the Summerfest tickets today, Groove. We have two. Okay, during the 1 o'clock hour and the 2 o'clock hour of today's program, we will be giving away a four-pack of general admission tickets to Summerfest, which starts in just a couple weeks. It's an old-time I-94 rivalry renewed as the Brewers head to Chicago to square off against the White Sox. The crew looks to stay hot against the cellar dwellers of the AL Central. Hmm, those are fighting words. And our Brewers coverage starts at 6.35 tonight. Brewers starting on a three-trip, eight-game road trip, um, three-city, um, eight-game road trip. you got to love what's going on now. I mean... Eight and two, the last homestand. Seven and three, the road trip before that. Uh, this team is special. There is room on the bandwagon. Jump on. All right. As somebody who has done this full, a radio show in this market, full or part time for eh, twenty three or so years now, it, it's. I will tell you, it's it's no secret that there is a, a liberal leaning mainstream media, and I, I understand that there's also. There are double standards. That's just the reality. Some people want to deny it, but it's just the truth. If you are a conservative commentator, the rules are different than if you are a liberal commentator. If you are a conservative actor or a conservative comedian, the rules are different. Things that are acceptable for the left to say are not acceptable for the right. But still, aren't there limits? Now, earlier this week, the story involved Roseanne. We've talked about that. Roseanne Barr, who's always been this loose cannon, 
but particularly found herself uh, found herself in the the crosshairs of liberal critics by coming out. They rebooted her show, and she was playing a she, the character she portrayed was a, a supporter of Donald Trump. And I was making reference to this yesterday. There was an interesting column in the Washington Post by by one of Roseanne's writers, and he said he said you know it's a, it's amazing. You should see the hatred. I am getting it. We have the top-rated show. People love this. It's a huge success. And, and 50% of the feedback I get from my, my peers and my colleagues is how dare you write this sort of thing? How could you even view this? Because, you know, you had somebody that dared to challenge the liberal groupthink. Well, you know, you got all this, this hatred that's there. How can anybody possibly support Donald Trump? Well, the reality is Donald Trump won the election. That's just it. A lot of people do support him. But... Again, in the Washington Beltway or the, the Hollywood elite, they just don't flat out understand that. In any event, Roseanne Barr, who has always been, uh, again, a, a sort of loose cannon, you know, she goes off and she sends out a series of tweets, including one, obviously a racist tweet. ABC responds within a couple hours by saying, we're canceling the show. And, and that's, I think that was the appropriate response. It, it's, it's unfortunate especially for the, you know, 100-plus people who work on the crew. But I think Roseanne crossed the line. And I think ABC said, all right, this is a situation where it's going to be incredibly controversial. Uh, you're, you're going to lose sponsors over this. You're going to have all these different groups protesting the horrible things she said and the racist. And we just, we just don't need this. We're going to move on. Fine. I think that was the right decision by ABC. And Roseanne Barr, in my opinion, has nobody to blame but herself. Which brings us to the story that broke during uh, this hour of the program yesterday. Samantha B., who is a liberal comedian, nowhere near as prominent, I would say, as Roseanne Barr, but she hosts a show called Full Frontal on TBS. It airs Wednesday night um, on the cable channel TBS, I think at like 9.30 or something. I, I confess I've, I've never watched it. Confess, I, I've never watched it, but I know what her shtick is. Her shtick is, again, she's the this angry leftist woman who, you know, makes fun of and mocks the Trump administration. Okay, that that's fine. I, I get it. That's, you know, that's the same shtick that you see almost all the time when you're watching the late night TV shows or anything. Well, anyhow, in the monologue, um, Samantha B goes after Ivanka Trump. Ivanka Trump had put a picture that's president's the president's daughter had put a photo of herself and her child up there and they're lovingly embracing and samantha b goes after that and in the context of her monologue calls ivanka trump uh, the c-word which I, i think everybody would agree is just inappropriate and kind of beyond the pale she she calls her that now, what's bizarre is the show is pre-taped. Now, I originally, I thought they taped it on Monday. Apparently, this particular show, they, they taped three hours before it aired. So this, this, this language is out there. TBS knew she said that. Producers knew she said that. And they decided to still air this and to also put out the unbelieved out word on YouTube to release that as well. So, I mean, they knew this was going on, and they apparently didn't think anything of it either. So this goes out, there then becomes a a firestorm, and the argument is Roseanne lost her show for her racist tweet. All right, what's going to happen to Samantha B? 
for her vile anti-female reference that she said not on her own time, but that she said on her show. Well, if you thought anything was going to happen, Samantha B comes out and she um, apologizes. She says, I would like to sincerely apologize to Ivanka Trump and to my viewers for using an expletive on my show to describe her last night. It was inappropriate and inexcusable. I crossed the line. I deeply regret it. All right. Well, Roseanne apologized, too, and still ABC candor. TBS then decides to weigh in. What is TBS going to do? And TBS is owned by Time Warner. TBS says, Samantha B has taken the right action in apologizing for the vile and inappropriate language she used about Ivanka Trump last night. Those words should not have been aired. It was our mistake, too, and we regret it. And that's it. A couple sponsors have pulled out, but just a couple sponsors. And I think TBS plans to make it business as usual. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and text line. How in the world, how in the world could TBS, Time Warner Cable, not have pulled the plug on this show? I mean, and, you know, what, what's the most especially aggravating thing is this isn't even live. Look, as somebody who makes their living talking for three hours a day, five days a week, you know, however many weeks I do this a year, you, you understand that maybe when you're doing live stuff, you can slip up, you can make a mistake. That This was a scripted monologue. This was something that was intentional. This was not a mistake by any stretch of the imagination. And is it not an incredible double standard to can Roseanne appropriately, but then just say, oh, we're sorry, um, let's move on, business as usual. Where is the outrage? And as I mentioned yesterday, if this was a... A, a conservative, if this was a Laura Ingram or a Dennis Miller or a Tim Allen, who as part of either a bit or as commentary had used that word in reference to, I don't know, Michelle Obama or the Obama uh, daughters or Ivanka or um, Chelsea Clinton or any, any liberal female, do you think that they would be back on the air the next day? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. How can they not fire Samantha B? And by not firing her and canceling that show, is this not indication of the incredible double standard that exists today in the media when it comes to what's acceptable on the right and what's acceptable on the left? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. We discuss next. It's twelve forty five. This is Jeff Wagner. 1249, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Let's start with Mike in Kenosha. Hi, Mike. Hello. Hi, Mike. What do you think? Well, what I think is there's no reason to expect that ABC and TBS would react the same. They are different companies with different values, different policies, and just like all the other companies in our country can react however they want. Do you think the Time Warner, and Time Warner owns TBS, do you think the Time Warner response was appropriate by not canceling the show? Personally, I don't, but that's none of my business, just like it's none of my business mm. what my neighbor thinks. Well, no, of course, well, I, right, I mean, I guess, well, but it, it is your business to the extent that you're entitled to have an opinion on this. If, let me, let me ask you this. Um, let's say somebody went on CNN, which is also a Time Warner network, and you had somebody that went on CNN 
and used that word in reference to Chelsea Clinton um, on their show. Do you think that they would be fired? If it was a live broadcast and there was no uh, opportunity to edit it, I, I, I do think that CNN is the kind of company that would fire that person. Okay, well, but CNN is owned by Time Warner Cable, just like TBS. So um, I, th- I guess, I, I, see, I, guess I, I don't know. To me, to me, it's worse that you had an opportunity to edit it. It, it says a lot about the, the company. And, again, you're free to disagree with me on this, but you're never going to convince me. I mean, I think the, the bottom line is if you had had – um, a conserv and it's it's difficult because there just there aren't too many conservatives that have shows um, where they articulate these sort of views. But if somebody had under the same situation, let's say you've got a Dennis Miller special. Dennis Miller is a conservative. If Dennis Miller had a special on CBS and they were giving him okay thirty minutes um, a live show that was taped live, it was you know taped live, and then it was going to be aired three hours later, and he had used that word in reference to Chelsea Clinton, they wouldn't have aired it, number one. And number two, if they did air it, you know, once the outrage happened, they would have fired him. I, I just, you'll never convince me otherwise. You, you just simply won't. But again, this, I think, is the double standard that's out there. Um, and interestingly enough, it'll be curious as to whether there's going to be advertiser feedback one of the reasons I think ABC did what it did was they recognized that there was going to be an incredible firestorm of protest and pressure being brought on various advertisers not to sponsor Roseanne. I don't see that outrage on the other side. Now, there were a couple of different advertisers. State Farm was one, and I forget off the top of my head who the other advertiser was, who immediately said, we're not going to participate anymore. You know, we don't want to sanction this. So they ended up pulling out. But at the same time, uh, I, I don't. You don't see this people calling for uh, the, the show to be canceled again. If it's good enough for Roseanne, and Roseanne got what she deserved, I'm not sympathetic to that. Why isn't it good enough for Samantha B? And the answer is, it is the double standard that you see in the media. Let's talk to um, Paul in Illinois. Paul, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. There's been a double standard in the entertainment uh, business for years. In 2004, Whoopi Goldberg won off on an X-rated tyrant at the 2004 John Kerry uh, convention fundraiser. She referenced George Bush and her genitalia. Incredibly raunchy. And yet she's on ABC, on The View, every single day. How she's still on TV, how she still has anything to say as far as these matters is is beyond me, but there has been a double standard for years. Right, exactly. And I guess what's what's frustrating to me is that that there's first of all, you have the networks that don't want to acknowledge that 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 it's out there like that. But secondly, mm-hmm. that it continues, it just continues so rampantly. And I some people try to justify it. Well, it's Donald Trump. Look, Donald Trump is this crude guy, and so he gets what he deserves. Well. Okay, this was his daughter, and are there really no standards anymore? And if there aren't going to be standards, then shouldn't it apply both ways? And my answer would be, no, I, I think I think Roseanne Barr deserved to lose her show. I think Samantha Bee deserves to lose her show. And I believe Whoopi should never have been allowed back on the shows. Yeah, no, thank that. Well, right, and, and I mean the, the kind of the I mean the list of this, you know, goes on and on and on. If you want to look at just kind of 
you know, over the top stuff. But if you're, if you are part of the Hollywood elite, if you're part of the left, you know, you, you get to say and do pretty much anything you want. You know, you can look at the Michelle Wolf, who was the comedian who did the thing at the, um, you know, the White House Correspondents' Dinner. If you had directed things like that to liberal women during the Obama administration, you know, you'd never work in the business again. Stephen Colbert, well, you, he, you know, makes a homophobic joke uh, about Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin. Well, okay, that's that. That's just par for the course. And and I understand just with Michelle Wolf, this this might reinvigorate Samantha Bee's career. Some of the haters out there are going to just endorse this and say, oh, this is just a tremendous thing. And, you know, she really told him, well, okay, she did. But, you know, there's a lot of people in mainstream America that still have some degree of standards. And I think I think ultimately TBS, maybe not short term, but I think TBS long term loses out in this. And what were they thinking? I mean, seriously, if I'm a TBS executive and this show and it's scripted, Right, so this is part of the monologue, and I hear this woman during the monologue drop this particular word. What were they thinking to allow this to go out on the air? This was not something that was kind of spontaneous, spur of the moment. You're involved in an, you know, a, an argument with somebody on the other side during one of these kind of live things on TV. Okay, th- this wasn't an accidental type of thing. This was scripted. This was intentional. And what was TBS doing by allowing this out? It tells you that at least when it comes to conservatives, TBS has that double standard as well. It's 1256. This is Jeff Wagner. Catch up on today's headlines with John. The financial markets are uncertain about the Trump tariff going into effect. What does it mean for your 401k? That's at 4.30 this afternoon. Wisconsin's Afternoon News with John McCure on WTMJ. You don't become a good listener overnight. It takes practice. For more than 100 years, we at Mutual of Omaha have been listening to our customers. Not to Wall Street, not to outside shareholders. We listen to you. In that time... We've learned that behind every conversation we have about insurance lies something much bigger, the hopes and dreams of our customers. And we love to hear about them because we know it's bigger than life insurance. It's about planning for your family's future. It's about more than employee benefits. It's the opportunity to help you build the business you've always dreamed of. And it's beyond Medicare supplement insurance. It's about giving you the confidence to live life to the fullest. That's why we listen. Because it's not about us, it's about you. So give us a call at 800-49-BEGIN or find an agent at MutualofOmaha.com. Mutual of Omaha, we begin by listening. Mutual of Omaha Insurance Company and its affiliates, Omaha, Nebraska. What's for dinner? Pizza from Papa Murphy's for just $5. Every Friday, get a large, one-topping, thin-crust pizza for just $5. Bring your family together for dinner with $5 Fridays at Papa Murphy's. Love at 425 degrees. Shazam! We're all about diamonds at Kessler's. We give you every option. We don't try to tell you what we would do if we were you. Because we're not you. You are you. We show you all the colors of the diamonds. And all the clarities of the diamonds. And every single one of them. Without exception. Is beautiful. Especially the Kessler 81. A traditional diamond has 57 mirrors. And we have those 57s if you want them. Thousands of them, in fact. But we kicked it up to 81 mirrors in the Kessler 81. Wowza! 
Bring your sunglasses. You can choose a Kessler 81 from a diamond mine. Or a Kessler 81 from a plasma chamber. Those are newborn created diamonds. The most rare diamonds on earth. A plasma chamber is a ball of lightning, a miniature sun. And you can see it shining in every Kessler 81. I love that. Diamonds dug from diamond mines and newborn created diamonds born in plasma chambers. We give you every option. Find the Kesslers nearest you at Kesslersdiamonds.com. W277-CV and WTMJ Milwaukee. From the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is News Radio WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Just getting the process of sending out a tweet about our next topic. President Trump is apparently considering, considering pardoning celebrity criminals like Martha Stewart and Rod Blagojevich. This would be an incredibly bad idea. It doesn't mean he won't do it, but it doesn't mean that the idea is good. We're going to talk about it in just a couple minutes. Stick around. 1259, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 109, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Just one more comment because I'm getting a couple texts on the, the whole Samantha B double standard thing. A number of people are saying, well, Jeff, Jeff, remember that Access Hollywood thing? You had Donald Trump using a very, very derogative tor- term towards women, you know, in that conversation with Billy Bush. How, how is that not the same? Well, uh, first of all, he, he should not be proud of that. But the difference is that that Access Hollywood situation was a private conversation that I don't think Donald Trump realized or thought or intended that it would ever be made public. That is different than the Roseanne Barr tweets, and it is certainly different than the intentionally airing that word that Samantha B. did. I'm not saying that anybody who ever uses an offensive term in a private conversation needs to lose their job, but it's different when you start to say those things publicly, and that's what the big distinction is. And I guess I'm I'm sorry, and just I I think. Most people would understand that, but I understand that some folks are just so blinded by this hatred of Donald Trump that now it, it's anything goes. And that may be, I guess, the, the case, but um, bottom line is my point still remains the double standard. If you're a conservative, don't try saying that. If you're a liberal, well, people aren't going to be apparently upset by it. I, I want to also, before we, we talk about pardons, I wanna, do also want to touch on something that Eric referred to in his newscast just briefly. First of all, let's not bury the lead. The jobs report today was absolutely outstanding. Um, in May, we created, the country created 223,000 new jobs. That is amazing. The unemployment rate, they expected it was going to be like 180,000. So this blew through what the, the experts thought it was going to be. The unemployment rate in this country fell to 3.8%. Let me put it in perspective. That unemployment rate, 3.8%, is the lowest unemployment rate since 2000. you got to go back 18 years to, to hit that number. Uh, the black unemployment rate is below 6%, which I believe is an all-time low. The economy is just going great guns. Many of the jobs that were created, let's see, um, the United States has gained 95,000 manufacturing jobs and 110,000 construction jobs from the start of the year through May. 
Hiring in manufacturing is off to the best start since 2011. Best start in seven years. Don't know where it's going to finish up. But by any stretch of the imagination, this is an incredibly good report. And to tell you the truth, when you start looking at an unemployment rate of around 3.8%, what you're doing is you're you're getting pretty close to full employment because there's always going to be some of what they call structural employment. You know, people who don't have a job but really aren't looking for a job but yet haven't formally dropped out of the market, so they're still considered. Or people who are in between jobs or things like that. Once you start getting below 4%, you're you're very, very close to essentially full employment. And that's a great story. And it's the, the lead, and that's the story that everybody should be telling. And I see the, you know, the stock market's doing fine. Now, the thing that Eric mentioned is because Donald Trump is president, there are always going to be some people who, well, we, we, can't, we can't talk about anything good, and we have to just deflect any of the good news. So that's, it has to do with one of his tweets. Um, let's see. Earlier this morning, 6.21 a.m., which would be, I think that would be 5.21 a.m. our time, President Trump sends out a tweet that says, looking forward to seeing the employment numbers at 8.30 this morning. That's what he says. Now, he, he got the employment numbers last night, so he knew what the numbers were going to be. He didn't say what they were, but he said, I'm looking forward to seeing the employment numbers at 8.30 this morning. Well, this has some people's heads absolutely exploding. Oh, he put out this tweet earlier. It shows he knew something. This could have been the equivalent of insider trading. This this is just terrible that you do that. Well, first of all, there's no law that says the President of the United States can't do this. The best argument you could come up with is, well, there was this, this protocol, and this is the way the story reads in the Washington Post. President Trump on Friday broke with decades of protocol and commented publicly about the highly anticipated jobs report data 69 minutes before they were released by the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Treasury yields moved sharply higher within seconds of a tweet from President Trump that said he was looking forward to seeing the employment numbers at 8.30 this morning. He had never issued such a tweet before. One hour and nine minutes later, the Bureau of Labor Statistics announced again that all these jobs were created. All right. Well, there's no law that says that President Trump can't disclose the, these numbers. And he didn't disclose the numbers. He just said, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. Could that cause the stock market to go up? Yeah. Um, could it sometimes cause the stock market to go down? Yes, if there were fears that inflation was going to be, um, you know, rearing its ugly head. But this idea that, oh, there, there's some huge violation and there's some huge problem with the president doing, really, I mean, get over it. That, that's just the bottom line. There's, there's nothing that says he cannot do this. And if President Trump wants to be a cheerleader and tout good economic news, and this is very good economic news, What's the big deal? Oh, yes, I know. The big deal is it's President Trump that is touting this information. All right. When we come back, I don't think President Trump did anything wrong by sending out this tweet this morning. I do think he is talking about doing some things which I think would be amazingly bad policy. I'll tell you about that in just a minute. It's 115. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 118. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. I... Um, the chief executive, governor, and the president have the power to pardon people. 
governors can pardon people who are convicted of state crimes. Uh, the president can pardon people who are convicted of federal crimes. It, it's a power which I, I think traces back to the king of England, where you know you, you had a king that could off with their heads, or here, I'm going to give you a pardon. It, it's, it's something that, candidly, I, I've never really understood why that pardon power migrated over to the United States. But nonetheless, it, it exists. Chief executives have the ability to do that. If I were a governor, or if I were the president, I don't know that I would ever use the pardon power, um, simply because I think it it's it's just it's a it's a repudiation of the criminal justice system. You know, you have prosecutors that bring charges, you have people who either plead guilty or juries that find them guilty. They appeal their decision; it's reviewed. They're sentenced. Um, for somebody to just come in, whether it's a governor or the president, and say. I don't like this particular case, or I, I want to do this or that or the other thing, and I want to overturn you know, years of stuff in the criminal justice system. I, I just always thought it's fundamentally wrong. If I were to be governor, for example, and, and use the pardon power, and I don't know if Scott Walker has issued any pardons. If he has, he hasn't issued many. Um, I, I, I would do it in a situation where maybe it's somebody who, 55 years old, Back when they were 18, they got convicted of something, they stole a car, or they stole some money or something, got convicted, have a felony, but have, have over the last 35 years been law-abiding, upstanding, and now they want to they be able to go hunting. They want to be able to gun, own a gun, or they just want this off their record. If I were to look at, at situations where I would be inclined to use pardons, that would be the, that would be the type of situation where it's really... All right, it's old. It's an old conviction, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I want to give you a b- ability to kind of get on with your life. But it would be those situations, and those would be rare. I guess the other situation would be if I genuinely believed that the court system ha- had taken somebody who was truly innocent, and it had been some wrongful conviction. But you got to be really careful with that because, again. How do you pick and choose? The jails are full of people who think that they are, in fact, innocent. There is a system that is set up to help governors and presidents with with pardons. And the, the typical procedure is you apply for a pardon. Your matter is reviewed. Um, it, it depends on the federal level or the state level. There's typically a pardon attorney. There's a board that looks at these, and they end up making recommendations. And and the, the truth of the matter is very few people end up getting pardoned, and I believe that that's the way it should be. Well, President Trump has decided to kind of change that around. Um, earlier this week, he pardoned Dinesh D'Souza, who's a conservative commentator who was convicted of campaign finance violations. He was prosecuted by the Obama Justice Department for essentially funneling contributions to a Senate campaign money that he had. And there's limits on how much money individuals can give to candidates directly. And so what he did is he had a bunch of people who made – he gave them money and they made contributions in their name. But it was really his money. It was a scheme to avoid the campaign finance laws. Now, you might say it's not the biggest thing in the world, but he, he did it. He was convicted of this. President Trump apparently doesn't think much of these charges. 
he issued a, a pardon to him. He also said that he may extend clemency to Martha Stewart. Martha Stewart, back in 2005, was uh, found guilty of insider trading, essentially. She got insider information. She used it, and then she also lied about it to the FBI. Okay, And Rob Blagojevich, who's the former disgraced governor of Illinois, who was also a contestant on The Celebrity Apprentice, God help us, in 2010, what Blagojevich did was he, after Barack Obama resigned his Senate seat once he was elected president, Blagojevich, he's caught on tape, essentially talking about selling this seat. And I, I, you, you, can, you can listen to these tapes, and it's absolutely amazing. He's essentially saying, hey, this is really valuable. You know, how much, are, how much can we get out of this? How much is somebody going to give me if I appoint them to the Obama Senate seat? I mean, it was, it's just this amazing, brazen thing that might be representative of Illinois politics, but it doesn't make it right. President Trump is talking about pardoning him. In all three of these cases... It, it hasn't gone through the whole pardon attorney process. It hasn't been reviewed. It's just Donald Trump saying, I, I don't like this particular conviction. I don't like that conviction. I think this person got screwed over. Here, I'm going to issue pardons to them. Now, one of the things that some people are looking at is they're saying, you know, by, by talking about this, maybe he is sending a message to some of the people around him that, hey, stand strong because if you – don't cooperate with the Mueller investigation, and you get convicted of something, don't worry, I'm going to be here from you. So some people are saying he, that this might be the message that he's trying to send. Whether he's trying to send a message or whether he's just, uh, again, got a wild hair up a certain part of his anatomy and he's deciding that I want to help my buddy Martha Stewart or Rob Lagojevich or whatever, I think this is incredibly bad policy. And, and I, I think... He was wrong to issue the pardon that he did to the conservative commentator. And I think he is very, very wrong to start pardoning people willy-nilly because, gee, I don't like this particular charge or whatever. That has a, a real risk, I think, of upsetting the apple cart when it comes to the criminal justice system. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I Look, I understand that there's people who hate Donald Trump. I understand there's people who love Donald Trump. I try to call it like I see it on different issues. And by passing out pardons, particularly pardons to some of his friends, I think it really, really, really hurts the system. And ultimately, I think it's going to hurt President Trump. 414-799-1620, what do you think? We discuss next, 125, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 127, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jason in Mequon. Hi, Jason. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Um, I don't, if my memory seems to recall me correctly, I don't remember, you know, anybody, uh, including you, I hate to say it, making a big deal about when President Obama did all this stuff, you know, handing up pardons. Oh, no, Jason, your, your, your memory does not, your memory does not serve you correctly, at least with regard to me. I, I, Obama at the end, President Obama at the end of his term, um, used his, his power, pardon power and commuting sentences of, of drug, all sorts of drug dealers. He thought the drug sentences were too long and he was turning people loose from prison right and left. And I was one of the people, thanks to the call, that was completely outraged about that. That's why I say, I, I, I think the other thing though, so I, I mean, I, I think, does a president have a, the ability to do this? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I get it. It's, you know, it's in the Constitution, but that doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. 
I think President Obama abused his, abuse is a tough word. I think he erred in his judgment. Bill Clinton pardoned what the fugitive, some fugitive financier who was somebody that helped raise money or his wife helped raise money for the Clinton campaign. Most of the time, the presidents do it when they're out the door. No, I thought Obama overused the pardon thing. At least in the President Obama case, though, the, the pardons went through the normal process. You know, people had submitted the applications. They had been reviewed. And like I say, President Obama, incorrectly in my opinion, but he believed that drug sentences were too long. So that's what he was doing. In this particular case with President Trump, there's not, this isn't going through the pardon system. This is him talking off the top of his head saying, I want to turn this guy loose. I want to turn this woman loose. I want to give him pardons, etc." I think that is just bad policy. And I say it for President Trump. I say it for any president that decides to issue these pardons willy-nilly. Now, I also understand that this is a way of probably sticking it to James Comey. Some of these people were either prosecuted by Comey or under Comey's direction. So maybe it's the ability to, to stick it to them. Rob Blagojevich belongs in jail. He belongs in prison. He should be staying in prison. And President Trump should stay the heck out of it. It's 135. Jeff Wagner with WPMJ. Um, earlier this week in Milwaukee County Circuit Court, there was a decision that, that, that gives nobody, that makes nobody feel good. It was, um, you might remember March 22nd of last year, 2017, there was the 64 year old building inspector, um, Greg Ziskevich, working for the city of Milwaukee, uh, who was in his personal vehicle, I believe, but he was on the job. He was a building inspector for the Department of Neighborhood Services. He was found dead in his car near North 23rd and West Cherry Streets about 2 p.m. Prosecutors say he was shot nearly an hour earlier. One of the men responsible for the shooting was on trial this week, and he ended up being convicted of felony murder. There is a there is an issue as to who who actually shot who actually fired the shot? And it's one of those where it's a he said, she said sort of thing. So the, the jury this week convicted one of the defendants um, of, again, it's felony murder, which was one of the lesser included offenses. He's going to be looking at um, 35 years in prison for felony murder. Also found guilty of fleeing and eluding an officer and possessing a firearm. So it, it's... There, there, is, there is a conviction. There's a lot of exposure here, but it doesn't make anybody feel good because it doesn't bring it doesn't bring the 64 year old man back, and and that's that's what the tragedy is. And whenever you have these horrible sort of crimes, and the defendant in this case was believed to be part of a larger crew that was you know running around the streets of Milwaukee, the mean streets of Milwaukee, in, involved in various carjackings. I think the jury ultimately acquitted him of one particular carjacking, but you. You understand the, the circumstances. This guy was a thug. There were other people that were thugs, and somebody is is dead, and nothing you do brings him back. It's just the the reality of this. If you will remember, after this happened, there was a lot of discussion about what what does the city need to do to protect its employees. That discussion then kind of took a weird turn. Was it last year, last summer? When you had pictures of some photographs of some contractors who were doing work on city projects who brought firearms with them. Now, the city has a policy that city employees and contractors who work for the city 
are not allowed to carry, you know, firearms. Even if you're a concealed carry permit holder, you're not allowed to do that. And that created all this controversy, and you had a couple of the usual suspects who were saying, oh, this is terrible, this gives the wrong impression of the city, et cetera, et cetera. To which my point was always, well, maybe we should be more concerned about the crime situation in the city that makes people feel the need to have to carry guns than being concerned about the way it looks that the people are carrying guns because they feel they need to have it with safety. Well, the, the city's response to the shooting has essentially been to issue guidelines that say things like, well, make sure you have a cell phone and, and make sure the cell phone is charged. And um, try to avoid situations when possible. If you see something that looks like it might be troublesome, walk to the other side of the street. <laughs> that that kind of, of stuff, which, okay, fine, but it, it doesn't deal with the underlying issue. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. For public employees that have to be out and about in the public, should they be allowed, if they choose, to carry firearms? You know, if you're a, whether you're a building inspector or you're doing some job which ends up putting you into a dangerous situation, shouldn't you be allowed to carry a firearm? Why should the city say no to that? 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, do we need to finally, and again, I'm not saying that everybody should have to be armed, but if you had people that were armed, wouldn't that at least potentially, at least potentially, maybe deter somebody from coming up and deciding these people are going to be easy victims? Michael in Bayside. Michael, you're first. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. As long as you are a citizen who could carry a firearm, you haven't committed any crime that would prevent you from, of course, of course you'd be able to carry a firearm. Uh, why should you not be able to defend yourself because you work for the city? Ridiculous. Well, well, right. I mean, you know, it, it, see, or if you're a building contractor or, you know, workers that work on projects in the city, um, then you have to walk through high-crime areas and you are potentially there to be victimized, why shouldn't you be able to protect yourself if you feel comfortable carrying the firearm? Correct. I mean, uh, I understand people work in, like, say, some municipal buildings, but there's security there. Right. You come in, you're searched, there's armed security there. Okay, right. fine, you're protected. That's not the case when you're not on right. those places. Right, e- exactly. Now, thanks for calling. I mean, you're, you're going to a construction site, for example. Okay, so you're... You know, you're working for a contractor that's been hired to do municipal work. You're driving around in a truck, for example, that has, I don't know, you've got a couple thousand dollars of t- your own tools that are in that truck. You're going to the job site. You've got to park the truck. You've got to get out. You've got to walk to the job site. Why shouldn't you be allowed to protect yourself, potentially, if you choose to do that? But here's the problem. You've got aldermen in the city of Milwaukee who are more concerned with the way something might look than they are with the reality. Meanwhile, people continue to get victimized. Truth of the matter is, you know, this is one of these things where people should be given the freedom to protect themselves if they feel fit and if they feel it's appropriate. We shouldn't have to worry about what the appearance is. I mean, if you really want to deal with the underlying issue, take care of the crime problem in the city of Milwaukee, and then people won't feel like they need to have guns in the first place. Hey, the world's largest music festival right around the corner. And I would like to send you there. Um, today, during this hour of the program and the 2 o'clock hour, matter of fact, let's do it right now. I'm going to give you a four-pack of tickets. These are general admission tickets 
to the big gig. Let's give them the caller number 14 at 414-799-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Caller 14 wins a four-pack of tickets to the big gig. Even if you don't win, don't forget to come see us at the Gruber Law Office Sports Zone. I will be broadcasting live throughout the entire run of the festival. Eric Bilstadt, do we have something? We have some breaking news. The summit is back on. President Trump outside the White House right now talking to reporters after he had met with the North Korean delegation. Not from one meeting. He spent more than an hour with the North Korea envoy discussing different things. He says that the summit will take place. He says there was a getting-to-know-you type of period. Uh, Kim Jong-un apparently had delivered a letter that uh, the president has now received, uh, the Secret Service and others had to take a look at that letter to see exactly what it was. I'm sure we'll learn more about what was in the in that letter in the, the hours to come here. But now that summit is back on, President Trump addressing it right now outside of the White House. Let's get the latest from ABC. This is a special report from ABC News. I'm Mark Remillard. President Trump just moments ago announcing that a meeting with North Korean leader Kim Jong-un on June 12th in Singapore is now back on. This is after a high-ranking member from North Korea hand-delivered a letter from Kim Jong-un to the president at the White House. They spent about an hour and 20 minutes in a meeting together. President Trump has signaled optimism for a summit with Kim Jong-un in recent days, ever since he sent a letter canceling their planned meeting on June 12th in Singapore. But again, President Trump now says a meeting with North Korean leader Kim Jong-un on June 12th in Singapore is back on. I'm Mark Remillard. This has been a special report from... ABC News. President Trump right now teasing about that letter. Uh, it was a very interesting letter. And at some point, I may be, it may be appropriate and maybe I'll be able to give it to you. Maybe you'll be able to see it and maybe fairly soon. But uh, really, this was a letter presentation that ended up being a two hour conversation. Why did it end up going so long? Because we found we found the whole subject matter very interesting. So the summit is back on with North Korea. We will have much more coming up at two o'clock. It is one forty four. It's one forty four, as Eric mentioned. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. When we come back, some good news for a local brewery. What's going on here? Stick around. 147, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We have a winner for our first four-pack of tickets to Summerfest. Another giveaway coming up in the 2 o'clock hour. Keep listening. Just a couple of thoughts to wrap up, a couple of texts just to wrap up what we were talking about with the city workers being able to carry firearms. I have a text, Jeff, you can't smoke or drink on the job, and sometimes there's a dress code. Why can't they tell you not to carry a gun? I Don't get me wrong. I, I, the city can have that policy. They can tell you not to carry a gun. They, they have the right to do it. But that doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. That's my point. Does that policy make sense? All right. Here's a note. Um, the, the texter says, don't use my name. All right. I will not. I'm a city worker. There have been incidents where workers have been struck, shot with paintball guns. A garbage truck was shot with a firearm 15 times in one incident. There are quite a few city workers that already carry, as I do. The way I see it, I'd rather successfully defend myself and be able to look for a job than be maimed or dead. Yeah, I wonder how many people are just kind of taking it upon themselves to say, all right, Tom Barrett and these aldermen who aren't out there, at least in the case of Tom Barrett, who can take police protection whenever he wants, um, you know, you, you're not out there on the mean streets without police protection. Um, here, we're going to take a gun so we can, in fact, defend ourselves. All right, I want to completely and totally switch 
years. The top three selling brands of beer right now in this country are Bud Light, Coors Light, and Miller Light. All right? All three have experienced declining sales in recent years. But Miller Light, of those three, has now gained market share for 14 straight quarters in the premium light beer segment, meaning you know more people are choosing Miller Light than Bud Light and than Coors Light. Miller Light's sales volume um, for the last month, ending in mid-May, was up 2.4%, whereas Bud Light and Coors Light had declines of more than 2%. Now, Bud Light is still the number one beer, but they are losing share, and Miller Light appears to be picking it up. There was a story in the Chicago Tribune a couple of days ago where they were talking to a guy who's the vice president of the Miller family of brands, and he was talking about why Miller appears to be carving out a, a more successful niche and why Miller Lite appears to be growing when a couple of these other brands aren't. Our numbers, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are you a light beer drinker? A- and if so, what is your beer of preference and why? Miller Lite, it's interesting. They, they've um, they've really got a, first of all, they, they've said they're targeting their marketing now to 21 to 34-year-olds, not just males but males and females. Number two, they've brought back their iconic packaging. They've kind of gone back to the future, and a lot of the, the, the packaging and stuff is this type of packaging they used when, when they were first rolling out light beer. In addition, and this is kind of an interesting theory, Bud, Bud Light has gone with all these different flavors. I was in this bar the other day. I know you're going to find that hard to believe, Gru, who's producing the show today and always. I, I was in I was in this bar after I played golf, and the, the guys I hang out with are, are Bud Light drinkers. But they had all these different Bud Light lime, Bud Light orange. They were pushing this. And one of the things the guy from Miller was saying is he thinks that that, that move to put all these like kind of flavored beers has actually sort of hurt Budweiser by... I don't know, diminishing the, the brand. It's like, okay, are we really brewing beer anymore or are we bring it, brewing like flavored stuff? In any event, Miller Lite is starting to grow its market share. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this a, just a blip or is this, I don't know that it's fair to say making a comeback. It's still like the number three beer in the country. So, I mean, they sell a lot of the stuff. But is Miller Lite on the rise? And if so, why? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you're on the line, please hold on. We discuss in just a minute. It's 152. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 155, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, Gru, do you think all light beers pretty much taste alike? Do you notice the difference between Coors Light and Miller Light and Bud Light? Old Milwaukee. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Well, okay, but I'm, but but those let's let's talk about like the light beers, the three big light beers. Do you think they all taste alike? Yeah, you can taste the difference between a Bud Light and a Miller. I can too. I no, I, I can too. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. A Bud Bud Light Miller Light appears to be capturing a larger share of the market. What's going on, Jeff and Fox Point? Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. I like Miller Light and Miller Fifty Four because the alcohol. Content is a lot easier to budget uh, as uh-huh. opposed to some of these craft beers like that can kind of creep up. 
Oh yeah, with the with the with where their ABV is like eight eight point five something like that. Sure. Yeah, and like I I went to a bring your own. I drove to a bring your own alcohol event one, just recently, and I made what I called an anti DWI kit that <laughs> had like two Miller sixty fours, two sodas, and like a bag of chips. Yeah, yeah. There, I mean, th- I mean, that, no, thanks. I mean, look, I I like an occasional craft beer, but and you're you're exactly right. That, that's something that you got to watch out for because some of these things. That's one of the reasons why you, if you're looking at the craft beers, they always list the alcohol by volume because, uh, you know, at a Miller, at a Miller Light or a Bud Light, what it might be four, four point five, whereas some of these other beers you get, it's like eight point five or whatever, and it, it, it's a big difference, particularly if you, on a hot summer day, if you want to drink a couple beers, well, you know, if the alcohol content is that uh, heavy. Unless you have nothing to do for the rest of the day and you aren't driving, you got to be careful about this. Let's see, Jeff. I am a Bush light drinker. Drives my beer snob friends nuts. It's what my family drank, so it's likely that had some bearing on it. But I like the taste better than Miller's Light, Coors Light, etc. I think their throwback was good marketing. Bring back the frogs and Frank and Louie and Spuds McKenzie, and uh, Bud will be back on just marketing. Nostalgia is popular. That's Courtney and Stevens' point. I think she's on to something, too. Actually, I would love to. I, I'm waiting for the Back to the Future thing with the Miller Lite campaign. I'm waiting for them to, you know, bring back the, the whole notion of the, the taste great, less filling type of thing. You know, that's, you know, that's, I mean, Bob Euchre. You know, you look at one of the places that Bob got his start as far as, not as being a broadcaster, but as far as like the, the national comedian and his national persona, he was doing the Miller Light ads. I mean, it was just a great character that they created for him. And I used to love those type of ads. And I think a lot of people still would moving forward. But the interesting thing, and, it, and it's good for this area, it's good for Milwaukee. And look, I have nothing against Bud Light. Like I say, I know a lot of people who that is their light beer of choice. But I think it's absolutely outstanding that you see Miller Light starting to make some inroads and where other light beers are starting to lose some degree of market share, Miller Light isn't. And, and that's that's really a good thing. Um, and even if you're not a light beer drinker, I think, you know, you want to see Miller Coors succeed, especially since they continue to, you know, employ people around here and we continue to make Miller Beer in Miller Valley at uh, Miller Coors. All a great thing. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We're back with lots more in just a couple minutes. It's 159. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 208, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, Eric, it was cold this morning. Did you go? It's still cold, I feel it, like. Yeah, well, it's um, after, like, the 90-degree heat. So th- this morning, yeah. I, I had... Um, I had a dental procedure. I had to, I'm in the process of getting, like, a crown put in. Cause okay. I, I my my dentist is very conservative. I don't know politics, but just he, you know he, he patches teeth and because I, I, I chip teeth from time to time over the years, and finally I did it. And he said he really kind of need a crown, so I had to go in and was having this process. Seven a.m. Yeah, I, I said, well, how about what, what when can we do it? I can you? I, it's best for me first thing in the morning. I didn't realize first thing was seven a.m. So <laughs> seven a.m. I'm in the dental chair, but that means I got to get the dog out. You know, earlier this morning, mm-hmm. so I'm. I'm, I'm taking her out for a walk, and I walk outside. I'm in shorts and a t-shirt, and it's like, holy yeah. buckets! Caught you, you know, off guard, didn't what, it? What happened there? You yeah. know, we running the air conditioning last night. Now it's like, oh, I don't think we need this anymore. <laughs> oh no! Welcome to Wisconsin in the springtime. All right, uh, a lot of stuff before we turn it over to John and Melissa next hour. 
want to, we've got Pop Culture Corner, and actually Pop Culture Corner is going to be a fun one coming up at 2.30. Um, we're, we're going to go back to the world of television, as a matter of fact. There was a series that, that wrapped up on two, on Wednesday night, uh, they called the Americans on, on FX. It was about, uh, these Russian spies. It, it got all, critics loved it. Um, I, I, I kind of, I was never that much of a fan, but I watched it because it was sort of a pop culture phenomena. It wrapped up. But, uh, based on that closing, we're going to use that as kind of a launching point for pop culture corner. As I was mentioning last hour, you, you can't bury the lead. The, the overriding good news story for today is that the economy is booming. Now, I understand, and I said that last hour, somebody sends me a text saying, well, tell that to the Harley-Davidson workers who lost their jobs you know, in Kansas City. I, I understand there's always going to be plants that are closing, but big picture, if you look at the big picture, and of course, if you're one of the people who's lost their jobs in manufacturing, you, you, I understand you don't see the big picture, you just see it as it affects you. But just looking at the raw numbers, 223,000 jobs created, and what you're seeing is tens of thousands of jobs being created in manufacturing and construction. And as I said, nationwide, the unemployment rate is 3.8%. It's lower than that in Wisconsin. We are edging towards full employment, meaning pretty much anybody who wants a job can find a job. Now, it might not be the job that they necessarily chose, and it might not be a job that they don't have to relocate for, but you, you can pretty much find jobs, which brings me to one of the issues that's going to be on the table over the next couple months as we lead to the midterm elections. There are a number of big government Democrats led by Bernie Sanders, but he's not the only one, who are running on platforms of saying that a job is essentially an entitlement that you have an entitlement to have a job. Bernie Sanders, and a lot of people are supporting variations of this, wants to guarantee government jobs to anybody who wants them. The government job would be in an area like construction, child care, park maintenance. Anybody who wants one would have them. The government job would pay a living wage, whatever that means, I'm assuming, Nowadays, the number that's thrown around is at least $15 an hour, and it would offer benefits on a par with what current federal employees make. And federal employees, this is not a knock on federal employees, but federal employees typically have a pretty darn good benefit program, health insurance, retirement plans, etc., and the so-called living wage. Now, nobody has been able to come up with an exact estimate on what this would cost but at a minimum, it would it would cost hundreds of billions of dollars over the next several years. I mean, there's just no question about it. There would also presumably be a, be a spillover effect because if anybody who wanted a anybody who wanted a job was guaranteed one by the federal government in some of these public works type of areas. So, what about somebody who works? Um, I don't know, in the private sector right now and makes $12 an hour. So they say, well, okay, why should I work making $12 an hour when I can go fill potholes or whatever and I'm guaranteed that I can be paid $15 an hour? So there would be, you know, a pressure, first of all, on the private employers to come up and raise money or perhaps shortfalls as people left their jobs in the private sector saying, hey, I want to work for the federal government. 
there are people who seem to think that this guaranteed job for all idea will will have appeal to people and that this is the way that you can get the votes, particularly of the millennials, who would say, well, I mean, why shouldn't everybody have a basic right to go out and why shouldn't the government guarantee jobs for everyone? All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, keep in mind, we are not living in the Great Depression now. We are living at a time where we are essentially very, very close to, if not at, full employment. The economy is booming. Manufacturing jobs are, you know, we're adding manufacturing jobs. We're adding construction jobs. Do we need to now have the government come in and guarantee jobs for anybody who wants one? And what would the effect of this be? Is this a good idea? Is it winning electoral strategy? Or is it just, what's the word I'm looking for? Nuts. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should we guarantee everyone who wants a job in the public sector a job in the public sector? 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 215. This is Jeff Wagner. 217. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right. Jobs report comes out today, if you're just tuning in, 223,000 new jobs, shatters expectations, jobs in manufacturing, jobs in construction growing, black unemployment rate below 6% for the first time, I think, in history, or at least in a long time, Um, the unemployment rate 3.8%, which is essentially close to full employment, and Bernie Sanders and a number of his buddies are trotting out various plans to say, Everybody should be guaranteed a job at a living wage, whatever that is. I'm presuming at least $15 an hour with benefits that match the benefits that federal employees get. What are these people smoking? Let's start with Sue in Menominee Falls. Hi, Sue. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, The one question I think we need to ask loudly and often is, how much is this plan going to cost us? Hundreds of of billions of dollars. Hundreds of billions. um, um, in precedent, Obamacare cost us millions of dollars. Everybody's insurance went up that actually paid for insurance. If we have everybody have a job, who's going to pay for the insurance? If everybody has insurance, if everybody has um, the um, free, free college tuition, we're going to end up, instead of getting maybe 80 or 75% of our gross income, we're going to end up getting 50% of our, of our gross income. Do people even understand What's going to happen to to our income and our take home pay? Right. Well, and and to the country in in general. I mean, can you can you imagine the the effect of this if you if you guarantee government make work programs and you say it's going to be fifteen dollars an hour plus all the cost of benefits, which will probably you know double the bottom line cost. You're right. Where is the no. money going to come from? And, it, and you're right. It's, it, the answer is there's not enough money there to do this. No, I'm going to become a slacker if that's it. Yeah. <laughs> well, right. No, th- exactly. That that's and then even I mean, just try to think about the dynamics of this. What about the people, like I say, who are making twelve bucks an hour now? You say, hey, wait a second. I'm I'm making twelve bucks an hour now, working in I don't know. I'm, I'm working. I'm taking care of people at the nursing home or whatever. I can make fifteen dollars an hour. All right, filling potholes, and I get all the federal benefits. See you later, nursing home. I mean, where. You know, you're, you're going to end up with all sorts of people who are now going to want to be on the government dole. And at some point in time, you're going to have to say, hey, Bernie, where are the people who are, where are they going to come from who are going to end up paying for this? But here's the problem, and Sue was touching on it. This is a simplistic thing. It sounds really good. 
well, why, why should people have to look for jobs? Why should people have to do jobs that they don't necessarily want to do? Why should people have to go out and try to bust their butts and be unhappy? This is, this is America. Shouldn't we guarantee everybody a job that they want? Let's talk to Katie in Burlington. Hi, Katie. Hi. I think what Bernie needs to realize, and maybe a lot of people do, is there's a large portion of the population that don't want to work. So do we pay them a wage, a living wage, to support the children that they have or the families that they have when they don't want to work? It, it is a, a fact of life. My husband's an employer. I, you know, there are people who would rather sit home and will mm-hmm. choose to sit home if they can make more money on the public goals. Well, you know, we saw that, Katie, a, a while back. Remember when, when unemployment was high, going back, you know, six, seven years ago, when unemployment was, was high, you had, remember we, we were doing all these things to extend unemployment comp, and the idea was that you know, typically it would be six months, but, you know, because people were having trouble finding jobs in some places, it was a year or a year and a half or whatever. And what we saw is that there were a set, there was a segment of the population that just waited till they had gotten all their unemployment benefits, and then mysteriously they were able to find a job because they decided they'd rather get eighty. They'd either work and get a hundred percent, or not work and get eighty-five percent. They'd rather sit on their butt and watch TV and get the eighty-five percent. Exactly, and there's also a portion of the population that are unemployable, and this is not due to a chronic injury or disability hmm. or something like that. They are unemployable. They are on drugs. Or they, okay. you, you know, you know the picture when you said that. You know the picture that came to mind. That thirty-year-old guy that sued his parents <laughs> after they tried to evict him. This is a guy who's never had a job, right? He's going to be the first one showing up. I mean, what what are you going to give him to do for a living wage? For goodness sakes, that's exactly it. What are you going to do for that large portion of the population that they they won't show up? They won't do the work. He's right. still going to pay him a wage. Well, I, I mean, I, I guess. Now, thanks for the call. And keep in mind, again, this is, I mean, this, I, this is, this is socialism, pure and simple. You know, the, the state is going to provide for you and will give you the work. But the reality is, I mean, right now, at this point in time in the nation's history, like I say, as a practical matter, anybody who wants a job can find a job. That, that's just the bottom line. It might not be exactly the job that you would choose. It might not be in precisely the location you want, but if you want to work, you just drive around. I mean, just drive around or just walk around. There are employers that are begging to find people, and the employers I talk to, the general message is we can't find, and I'm, and it doesn't matter, skilled, unskilled, um, fast food restaurants. You look at some of the signs. I was past the fast food restaurant the other day. The sign is starting salary. Forget about minimum wage. They're starting adults somewhere between 10 and $14 an hour, and they still can't get people that will do that work. So now we're going to pay $15 an hour, and the taxpayers are going to underwrite it? Huh. Scott in Greenfield. Scott, you're on WTMJ. Yes, this is Scott. Um, Hi, Scott. I'm worried about firing these people. I mean, if they're yeah. not going to work, uh, what you they're entitled to a job. They get out of one, they go right back to work for the same fifteen dollars an hour. Yeah. Uh, how do you get rid of them once you've got them? Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, thanks. Can you imagine again? If if you want to just if you want to understand that the poster child for this again, think of the picture of that thirty year old guy who sued his parents because they told him they wanted him to get out of leave his room, you know, and go get his own apartment. And this is this guy who says, "I don't even know how to pack up my stuff." Right, that's going to be the first guy in line, and we're going to be paying him a living wage to do what? Oh, oh, 
But this is, you know, this is what passes for America in 2018. Billions and billions and billions of dollars. Well, who cares about that? You know, this is this is something that sounds good without any connection to reality at all. All right. Um, I have a four-pack of tickets to give away to Summerfest. These are general admission tickets. The big gig starts in just a couple weeks. I will be doing several of my shows there during the course of Summerfest. Looking forward to it. want to encourage you to stop by. Four-pack of tickets. Let's give it to caller number 12. Caller number 12 at 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Caller number 12 wins a four-pack of tickets to Summerfest, which starts very, very soon. It's 225. 227, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Pop Culture Corner coming up in less than 10 minutes. All right. The... One of the things that's always been frustrating to me, the, the, the discredited, and we have our winner for the Summerfest tickets. Um, thanks for everybody for participating. One of the things that has been frustrating to me over the years when we had that, that, that failed ultimately the, the John Doe investigation and then John Doe one and John Doe two and then John Doe three and all that stuff, um, was that we, we never got a disclosure of how much it really cost the taxpayers. And that's just kind of like swept under the rug. You have a couple prosecutors who I think had a vendetta against Governor Walker. They launched this thing, and then they just spent money and spent money and spent money. But they never had to keep track of that. And the public never found out how many millions of dollars got spent on, again, Don Quixote chasing the windmill. Well, I have not called for Robert Mueller to be fired. I think the investigation needs to run its course. But at the same time, I, I do think there needs to be some logical ending point to this. I mean, you have an army of prosecutors issuing subpoenas, doing all sorts of interviews. Sooner or later, you've got to, I mean, put up or shut up. There would be another phrase I would use, but let's just say put up or shut up. It's not good for the country that these things drag on and on and on. And the Mueller investigation has been going on for more than a year now. Well, uh, the Department of Justice yesterday announced that uh, the tab for the ongoing investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 election, it's now it's now near $17 million. Mueller listed direct expenditures of more than $4.5 million, including $2.7 million in salaries and benefits for his staff of prosecutors. $2.7 million for the staff of prosecutors. Another $5.4 million reported as indirect costs for the work of Justice Department officials who have assisted the investigation. I understand you want a thorough investigation, and I understand that there's some people who think that this is going to be the undoing of Donald Trump. I don't think that's actually going to be the case. But at some point in time, you can't just keep spending money. At what point is it enough enough? Is it $20 million? Is it $50 million? Is it $100 million? Well, right now, it's at $17 million and the clock is running. 2.36, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We have reached that point in the week where we, we put away the heavy lifting and we stop arguing about the Trump administration and we stop talking about crime on the mean streets of the city of Milwaukee. And we try to have a little bit of fun. I call the segment Pop Culture Corner. We do it this time every week. Sometimes we talk movies, sometimes sports, sometimes food, sometimes cars. Whatever kind of tickles my fancy in a particular week that I hope will, you will find of, of interest. Uh, today, we want to focus on the world of television. I, I bring this up because on Wednesday night, there was the series finale of a show called The Americans, which was on FX. 
got a lot of critical review raves. The critics loved it. Um, the, the basic plot line was that it was two Russian spies who were planted in the United States. It was a couple, and they're living in Washington, D.C., you know, um, again, spying for the Russians. S- the series ran for six years. I it, Critics loved it. I was kind of a lukewarm watcher of it. Um, I, I, I just, I guess, I had trouble with two protagonists who are essentially posing as American citizens trying to undermine the United States. I mean, I didn't see them as particularly likable, and maybe you don't have to do that anymore. But anyways, I, I didn't, I didn't love the show, but lots of critics did. It didn't particularly get high ratings, but it was one of these that you know, if you were part of the in crowd, you liked the Americans. Anyhow, it, it, it ended. I did watch. I went back and I, I watched a couple of the episodes leading up to the final just so I could watch the finale in case I wanted to talk about it. I um, There's nothing about that show which would make me say, you know, I, I want to go back and watch all six seasons. I, I did not find it to be binge-worthy. But yet one of the great things that's available now for so many of us who, you know, whether it's we have the, the Netflix or you have the Amazon Prime or you have access to HBO or Showtime or whatever, you can you can go back and you can binge on various TV shows. And I confess I have been doing that a little bit. I've been working my way through The Sopranos. I'm up to kind of like season three, the first or second episode. And I saw them all, but I haven't seen them for a while. But when I have a little bit of time, I'll, I'll try to watch one or two of the episodes and see how it goes. And I, I'm, I'm remembering stuff that I had forgotten, and I'm finding it to be... You know, as entertaining as I think it was when I saw the show before. I don't have any desire to go back and to binge on The Americans. But I am kind of binging on The Sopranos, and I suspect this weekend I'll probably, my wife has to work uh, tonight, she's got to work on tomorrow night, I'll probably you know, spend at least some of that time watching The, the Sopranos um, on a sort of mini binge. So I thought it would be a little bit of fun today in recognition of the fact that The Americans has ended um, and the fact that we have access to so many great TV shows nowadays, to simply, let's talk about binge-worthy TV shows. If you had, I don't know, 8 or 10 or 12 hours, and you were going to sit down and there was one particular TV show that you wanted to watch, beginning to end or one entire season at once, what would that show be? It can be a comedy. It can be a drama. It could be, I don't know, a documentary type of thing. Um, what's your most binge-worthy show? There's not a right or wrong answer to this, and I always tell people, go with your first instinct. Sometimes people try to overthink this stuff, but what's your first instinct? Also, our phone lines tend to jam up, so I encourage people to call quickly. 414-799-1620, binge-worthy TV shows. Um, I'm doing it on The Sopranos, but I will tell you, that's not necessarily my favorite binge-worthy show. We'll talk about it next. What's yours? 414-799-1620. It's 240. This is Jeff Wagner. And also, we are live streaming this. If you go to WTMJ.com slash studio cam, uh, you can see what it looks like to do this radio show. 240, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 243, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's Pop Culture Corner. We're talking about binge-worthy TV. A lot of people are texting Sons of Anarchy which was the, um, it ended a couple of years ago, it was about the motorcycle gang. My problem with that was the same problem I had with the, the Americans. I, I really, why am I interested in Russian spies? And that was, it's a, it's a gun-running motorcycle gang, and it was just tough for me, it was tough for me to find likable characters there. 
414-799-1620. Let's start with Bob in Bayview. Bob, good afternoon. Yeah, way back when we had a Blockbusters and that, I was going looking for a thing to watch, and I got started on The Wire. Mm-hmm. The old HBO miniseries, yep. Yeah, uh, it, what it, what had happened is I watched it, and ever since then I've yet to watch a show from week to week. I only watch Ben Watch, those type shows. Because I, I like you can follow it and you can get into it. If you watch, you know, three, four, five episodes in a row, you can, you can develop, a, you know, understanding what's going on. Yeah, yeah. What, so, so if, if, for example, let's say you like Better Call Saul, which is coming back this summer, yeah. instead of watching it week after week, you'll just wait till that the seasons run and then you'll go and watch them all at once. Yeah, that's what I do. I, 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 yeah, I did, did that with the Game of Thrones. I did that with Breaking Bad. Yeah. Uh, that's the only way, to me. That's the only way to watch those kinds of shows. Justified is another one. Yeah, I, I, over. Interesting. Thanks. No, I mean I, I love Justified. I, Game of Thrones. I have to confess, and I've, I, and a number of people are saying that that's a great binge worthy show. I, I watched. I, I saw the first season of Game of Thrones, and and, and here's why. I, I like to read the books before I, I watch the shows, and um, I I just. I, I tend to read the Game of Thrones series. I read the first book. I haven't, and I've got all the rest of them, but I haven't sat down, and they're 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 kind of dense. I just haven't read any of them, so I keep thinking I'm going to read these one day, and then I'm going to go back and finally watch the series. Let's talk to uh, let's see Russell in Lake Geneva. Hi, Russell. You're on WTMJ. Jeff, you had me at Polly <laughs> This So you love The Sopranos, huh? I, you know, I can't tell you. I've got the box. I can't tell you how many times I've watched them. I haven't done it in a while, so you sent me this, this <laughs> idea for the weekend. But I like the first couple, two, three series better than the later ones. Yeah, well, everybody was still living. Yeah, well, my, I mean, thanks for the call, Russell. I mean, my problem with The Sopranos, it's my problem with a lot of TV shows, is I think they repeat themselves. There, there's sort of a lifespan of these shows, and I thought that happened to The Sopranos. I mean, I thought the first couple of years it was really groundbreaking, and then, then I start. I think they start, in my opinion, they start telling the same story just with different characters over and over again. But it doesn't mean it, it, it wasn't great. It was a lot of fun. Hey, if you want a tip of one that I think is one of the, this is probably my favorite binge-worthy show, The Larry Sanders Show with the late Gary Shandling, who plays a, a talk show host. It, it's, it ran on HBO. It's available on HBO Go. It's, it, it's one of these that, you know, there's, I think, five or six seasons of it. You sit there, a half-hour episode, so you can blow through a season in just a couple hours. It's, it's hysterical. Um, I, just, I think it's one of the best TV shows ever. 414-799-1620. Greg in Kenosha. Hi, Greg. Hey, Jeff. How you doing? Real well, thank you. Okay, binge-worthy TV shows. Well, I was going to mention, I, there was a few, uh, Breaking Bad's one of them, Walking Dead's one of them. Uh, the one that I just recently watched is a show called Longmire, was on yeah. Netflix. Uh, Devil May Care Sheriff out in Wyoming fighting crime his own way. It's a very underrated show, and I watched the first couple episodes before I knew it, and it was only six seasons. I was done with six seasons in, in short time, and I... I'm pretty sure there's an imprint on my couch. I think I've seen one couch. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I, I have not seen that, but I've seen, I have a number of people who are texting me that as well, saying that's one to check out. Now, thanks, God. Maybe I'm going to put that on my list. Uh, let's see. Here are my tech. Uh, interesting. Deadwood. Uh, three seasons on HBO. I, I You know, they, they've always been talking about bringing Deadwood back. It was um, set in, you know, like the the, the Rapid City area. Um, during the, the gold rush times, um, it's, uh, you know, I, I, 
you know, that's I like Deadwood a lot. I mean, and, and that is, it's again, it's three seasons, so it's one of those things that you can blow through, you know, quickly. Um, and and Deadwood was extremely good as well. There's just no question about it. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Cassie in New Berlin. Hi, Cassie. You're in WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. I like Dallas. The original one or the remake? All of them. Okay. <laughs> I, I even went to South Park last year to see the set. I love it. <laughs> I, I've heard that that's kind of disappointing, South Fork, or, or was it cool to go there? I thought it was cool. Was it? A little smaller than you think it would be, but it is, it, it, it's very nostalgic. And the historians, they know about Larry Hagman. I love it. Did Nothing you, like they are. Did you, now, did you, were you a fan of Dallas from the very beginning? From the very beginning, my father and I would watch it every week. Yeah, and there, my kids love it. Yeah, well, there, no, they, there, I mean, that was that was just, I mean, that was a phenomenon when it was on in the eighties, and the Who Shot Jr. thing was the maybe it's still it's the, the top rated you know TV show. I, I I watched it for years. I they they lost me about five or six seasons in when they did the, um, you know the 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 dream season thing after. Um, whoever played Bobby, you know, decided he, he was going to leave the show and then come back. But I, I get it. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to, let's see, Lisa in Wind Lake. Hi, Lisa. Hi. My husband are very much like your first caller where we'll um, record everything and then wait to watch it until everything's there. Um, but in the off seasons now, we've started, we watched Law and Order up until like season 15 when the characters started to get weak. And then um, now we're on ER. We're like on season two. So. Oh, have, have, did you watch ER when it was first on? I, you know what? I'm old enough to. My husband isn't. Um, <laughs> but well, he was quite younger. But um, you married a I younger remember, guy. You married a younger guy there, Lisa. The, the plan is for me to die first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're a cougar, Lisa, huh? <laughs> Not that bad, but close. Um, but either way, he he hasn't seen it, so it's been fun for me to rewatch it and him to watch it for the first time because it is a quality show. Um, yeah, I loved. So. I loved the. I mean, I I, I kind of got tired of it after a while, but those first few years when you had you know Anthony Edwards and George Clooney and Julianne Margulies and all those that was. I mean, th- those first few years, I thought it was great. I and it was good. It but it was one of those things. I think they started telling the same stories too. You know, it, but the first several years, that's great. Agreed, yeah. and that's why we stopped watching Law and Order. Same reason. Right. Yeah. I mean, thanks. Thanks for. I mean, it's, it's sort of that procedural. This is the cool thing about whether it's the you know on demand stuff or the box sets. It, it is just cool that you can go back and watch all of them. Somebody mentioned Justified. Uh, ran six seasons. I, some seasons were better than others, but I was a big fan of Justified. I the guy Timothy Oliphant who starred in Deadwood was also in Justified. I thought that was a, a pretty darn good one as well. Um, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to um, Brady in Wales. Brady, you're in WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. I'm a retired detective, and I, I pay attention to a lot of law enforcement action, how true it is. There's only two shows that I thought really reflected a law enforcement perspective. That was Breaking Bad, which is basically flawless, besides one mistake, right. and The Wire. The Wire, the, I think the, if you watch The Wire and you're a citizen, uh, it exposes a lot of law enforcement sources and methods. You can get a really good idea with uh, officers. Go through my favorite character was Lester. Mm-hmm. Lester is the real detective. Yeah, you know it's interesting you should say that, Brady, because back in another life, you know, I, I used to when I worked in the U.S. Attorney's Office. I used to manage wiretaps, you know, and so the, I, I was struck by how 
true that that show really was. Um, especially, I mean, I thought I think that the first season in particular, I think, was as close to a perfect season of TV as you could get. I, I just really do. Yeah, no, thanks for calling me. The first second season really good. The other ones weren't that good. Yeah, I, I mean, th- well, the first season I thought was great. The um, I, I thought it was, I thought there were some years that were better, but the first season of The Wire, if, if you were going to watch something and you wanted to just binge watch and you were saying, okay, what season? I don't have time for all six seasons, Jeff. Which would you pick? I, I would do that one. Okay, I'm sorry. We've kind of run out of time. Um, let me go through some of the things. The Pacific. I liked Band of Brothers better. Um, I watched, matter of fact, I watched several of the Band of Brothers episodes on Memorial Day. Soap. Oh, that's a great one from the, uh, from the, the eighties. Uh, Twin Peaks. See, I, I had, I was never into Twin Peaks, but I, I know that there's lots of people who loved it. A lot of people are saying Friday Night Lights as well. A lot of great choices. Here's a new one. I haven't seen this. It's on Netflix, but Luke Cage. They're just starting their second season there. Homicide on the Street. That's by the same people that did, um, The Wire. A lot of lot of great ones that are out there. Um, House of Cards. I you know I I watched the first two years of House of Cards and then I thought it got weird and they're bringing it back. I don't know when it's going to come back um, with Kevin Spacey gone, but that'll be it. And of course, a couple of callers have made mention of Breaking Bad. I mean, if you haven't, if you're one of the people that haven't seen Breaking Bad and you're looking to binge watch, that would be a binge worthy show because you could really you could see all in the space of one or two weeks what a lot of us had to wait six or seven years for. Um, a lot of fun. Binge-worthy TV, pop culture corner. When we come back, we're going to find out what John McCure and Melissa Barkley have on their minds. Stick around. It's 254. This is Jeff Wagner.